there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. This is one I'm sure you've been waiting for for a long, long time, probably all your lives. We're going to talk about the meaning of life. You know, it reminded me of that film, The Life of Brian. What is the meaning of life? You know, and people going around trying to find the meaning of life. And it was a comedy because really, when you try to find the meaning of life in life, it can only be a comedy or a tragedy. If you are identified, it's a tragedy. If you're not identified, it's a comedy. Because there's no way that you can find the meaning of life in life. Because life has no meaning in and of itself for you. Life has a meaning, but it is so much bigger than anything that we can comprehend that it's meaningless to try and comprehend it because it's not in our best interest. Life, life's purpose is not in our best interest. It doesn't care about us. What is life? That's really where we need to start. If we want to think about the meaning of life, we need to understand what life is. Then, of course, from that is what is life? Why are you here? What are you, if anything, supposed to do while you're here? If you get your meaning from life, then the vast majority of people do, then life is the body and its sensations. A good life is one having more pleasant sensations than unpleasant sensations. It's very simple. What's the meaning of life? Get as many pleasant sensations as you can get and pack them into the time between birth and death. And avoid as many of the unpleasant sensations as you can possibly avoid between birth and death. That is what the vast majority of people crawling on this mud ball that's flying through space are doing. When the meaning of life is sensations, we're here to experience them, and we're supposed to cling to the pleasant sensations and avoid the unpleasant sensations. Our goals are determined by what we like and what we dislike. When sensations are pleasurable, we like them and try to get more. When they're not pleasurable, when they're unpleasant, we don't like them and we try to avoid them. When the meaning of life is pleasure, we are reduced to being a race of hedonists. A hedonist, incidentally, is someone who practices hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. There's some of that in every single person here. How much of that is for you to observe and figure out for yourself? It's very difficult to say no to pleasant sensations. It's very difficult to say yes to unpleasant sensations. It takes mastery, something that we don't even work for. Mastery. If you are a pianist and you play the piano, well, then you're a pianist. But if you are a concert pianist, then you're a person who plays the piano for a lot of people in concerts. But if you're a master, you're a person who has mastered the keyboard, who has mastered music, who has mastered the piano. And there were such people. We know from history that there, there were and there are such people who are actually masters. They have mastered it. They would say that they had not. And that's always interesting to me. They would always say that they had not. We would say that they had mastered it. They would say, no, that there's always more. And that is the mindset of a master. He's a student, an eternal student. He's always learning. He's always allowing something higher to teach him. Good reminder for us. So if we are hedonists, then we're doomed to live and die like dogs because that's what dogs do. Dogs eat what they like. They don't eat what they don't like. Dogs do what they want. They don't do what they don't want. Dogs 
That's it. And that's what we're like. We're just like any other lower animal form on this planet that goes to make up the organic film of life that coats this planet. And we are then run by whatever it is that we like and whatever it is that we don't like. And of course, that's constantly changing. What you like today is what you won't like tomorrow. What you love today is what you'll hate tomorrow. What you hate today is what you love tomorrow. And with that, you can see that we're in this constant state of flux. Everything's changing and we don't know who we are. We don't know what we want. We're just chasing whatever feels good in the moment. Not a very pleasing life, but nonetheless, it's what people do because they think that their happiness depends on getting their goals in life. Relatively few people are unable to accept hedonism as the goal of life. Most people don't even think about it. But relatively few would be able to look at that whole idea of hedonism and think, well, I don't think I really want to do that. Then They might say that, but then they would go ahead and do what they like and not do what they didn't like. They would eat what they like and not eat what they didn't like. They would go ahead and not discipline themselves at all, not say no to what they wanted and yes to what they didn't want. They couldn't do that because that would take will and they don't have any because will has to be developed. It's not something that just, like, Sir Isaac Newton is sitting under a tree and an apple falls on his head and he comes up with the whole idea, of, the whole wrong idea of gravity. But it's interesting that Einstein later came along and didn't sit under a tree and didn't have an apple fall on his head and corrected Newton's theory of the whole theory of gravity and how it all works. And he fixed that, as it were, without the apple hitting him in the head. Those people who see that hedonism is not the best way, that getting your pleasures, getting what you want is not the way to develop, to become more, to head in a different direction, those people see a tiny bit more and a little bit further. Now, I'm not saying that they're vastly different than the rest of us. Somehow, they get enough light to see life as a wheel of misfortune, constantly spinning and yielding unpredictable results. They begin to seek meaning outside of life, above life, beyond life. In other words, they stop looking to the things in life as their source of joy, their source of happiness, their source of pleasure, their source of goodness. They start to look to something else, something that is not contained in this system, something that is not generated by this system of the film of organic life on this planet. It comes from outside of that. When the pupil is ready, the teacher appears. Historically, people have come from above life with a different perspective of life and its meaning, its significance. We look at these people as saviors, avatars, gurus, whatever. And these are people who, for whatever reason, have been sent into the cave where we're all sitting in darkness, watching the shadows on the wall and thinking that it's all real. They've been sent in to turn us around and have us look at the light coming from outside the cave rather than the fire that we have built here that's casting shadows on the wall that we're looking at. You'll notice this is Plato's idea. And it's a good idea. It serves us well, so we'll use it because we need illustrations. The intellect thinks in words, but the subconscious mind deals... The subconscious mind is really the conscious mind for us. The unconscious mind is where our intellect is because most of the time we're unconscious. But the subconscious mind is aware of everything. It's there paying attention to everything. So it knows every sensation and everything that's going on all around you right now. It's taking it all in. But you don't know that because it's subconscious. It is below your consciousness. So you're not aware of that. The idea is to become more 
more conscious, to have more light so that we can shed that light into this unconscious area and become aware of more of what's coming in and affecting us that we're reacting to so that when it starts to come in, we can determine what we want to do with those impressions and we can transform them if we wish to do that. And believe me, when you get to that place where you have the ability to transform incoming impressions, you want to do that. Because the way we have always taken them is what makes us what we have become in life. And that is what we're trying to part ourselves from. There are people who wake up or are awakened in life and begin to see the pattern and the action of principles and laws governing our behavior. So there are two kinds of people. There are people who come from outside of life. Whether they were ever in life or not, I don't know. It's a moot point. I mean, we could argue it all day long. It's not what we're after. We're not after settling the question. What we're trying to understand is how to get out of this, how to get beyond this life trap of this wheel of misfortune, constantly going around and around and around on it and experiencing whatever. It's like a roulette wheel. You know, when you put your money down, except in this case, you're betting your life. And then the wheel is spun and the ball is dropped into the wheel and it bounces and it bounces and then it stops somewhere. And if you are on black or red, then if it landed in black or red, you're a winner or a loser. And if it landed on your number, then you're a winner. And if it didn't land on your number, which is usually what happens, then you're a loser. And so obviously in life at the roulette wheel, truly there are more losers than winners. In life as we know it, if you look around, there are more losers than winners. There are very few people who win big. Everybody thinks they're going to, but there are very few people who do. What are my chances of winning the lottery? There are no chances of winning the lottery. I have absolutely no chance. And the reason I have no chance is because I won't buy a ticket. So I have no chance of winning the lottery. I have no chance of finding a ticket in the street because I don't go look for tickets in the street. And even if I did, I wouldn't pick one up. I would leave it for whoever dropped it because it's not mine. This is a strange way to look at life. This is a strange way to think about life. This is not the normal way of looking at life. You understand that. Anyone else would pick up the ticket. I found that it's mine. And if they saw somebody drop it, they may or may not go after that person. It's, a, it's not even a 50-50 chance on whether they will. Depending on the type of person they are, they'll either pocket the ticket and go the other way, or they'll go after the person and give them the ticket and secretly expect a reward. Which one of those people is a better person? Neither, because they're both doing it mechanically. And mechanical people aren't better people. They're just machines. But a conscious person is not a machine. And the conscious person is what we're trying to develop into, a conscious person. The thing is, is it's, it's possible. You can become more conscious. It is possible. You can develop the muscle of your attention. If you can learn to direct your attention, you can grow consciousness from directed attention. Just like you can grow things in the garden by planting seeds and cultivating them properly. You can grow consciousness by planting your attention in a certain place and cultivating that. You can grow consciousness. You can grow better attitudes. You can grow all of these things that this work is trying to get us to grow. Until we begin to see the patterns of the actions and principles and laws that are governing our behavior, we're pretty much just like everybody else. We suffer from ourselves uselessly on the wheel of misfortune. You see, the problem is, is that we are suffering from ourselves. It's me. I'm the one who's causing my suffering. It's not anything out here. And we don't get that. It's like, no, it's this sickness. 
that's making me suffer. No, it's this person that's making me suffer. No, it's the economy that's making me suffer. No, it's my neighbor who's making me suffer. No, it's the car crash that I got. It's that stupid person who ran into me because they were talking on the phone or texting. No, it's ourselves that we suffer from because those things could happen to a conscious person and not affect them. Remember we talked about, can you even imagine a man who you couldn't make negative? And people said, no, I can't even imagine that. They can't imagine that a man ever existed. And yet, those are the people who we call avatars, saviors, messiahs, gurus. Those are the people. What they prove to us is that no matter what is done to them, they don't get negative. So it is possible to have something happen to you, to have an event, to have an impression, an event come into you, and not get negative. It is possible. Not possible for us right now, but maybe it's possible for you right now on a small thing, on a small scale. Maybe it's possible for you, for somebody to say something unkind to you that you would have gotten upset about. You would have been hurt or slighted by in the past, but now you would just laugh because you realize that's true about yourself. And now when they bring it up, it's like, yeah, you're right. And if they're mean-spirited in the way they're bringing it up, they're still right. And they're mean-spirited, well, that's their problem, but they're right. You know, the bottom line is, yeah, you're right. It was like this morning when somebody said that I was wrong about something or I missed something. It's like, yeah, that's true. I do everything wrong. That is absolutely true. There's nothing that I've ever been able to do in my entire life perfectly. Unless, of course, you look at it like everything that I've done in my entire life is perfect. That's a whole other way of looking at things. But it is possible to look at things that way. And it is very logical when you do look at things that way. But not everyone can do that. So the thing is, is yes, you're right. I do forget things and I leave things out and I get things wrong. And that's why I say, look, don't pay attention to the words. Try and get the meaning. I'm a frail vessel. I'm imperfect. I'm flawed. And if you are looking only to the vessel, you're missing the contents, the meaning, why the vessel is there. The meaning of a vessel is the whole. It's not the vessel. The vessel is unimportant. It's what it can hold. It's the space in it that's important, not the vessel. If all of your attention is on the vessel, you're a hedonist. All you care about is the way something looks on the outside. That's not important. What is important is the meaning that you can get from the space of the vessel. If you have a a silver chalice and you fill that silver chalice with gold, it's worth more than the vessel. If you fill it with diamonds, it's worth more than the vessel. If you fill it with rubies or emeralds, it's worth more than the... Even if you fill it with pearls, it's worth more than the vessel. So you see, it's more important the space than the vessel. And we need to remember that when we're listening to a teacher or listening to someone, anyone. They have something for you. Your job is to get the meaning from it, to reap the value, not to judge the vessel. Anybody can judge the vessel. That takes no consciousness at all. That is a mechanical event. It takes no effort whatsoever. It's different to get meaning from the vessel. To get meaning means you have to make effort. You have to do something that you will not automatically, mechanically do. So that's about that. How I get off on that, I don't know. But being imperfect, I don't even have to explain myself. After life is realized as a series of events, we must understand that we can't change the events, only our way of taking them. This is a very difficult thing. We can't change the events. We spend... Probably we spend, oh, I don't know how long realizing that it's a series of events. Life is a series of events. Okay, we we realize that. Look, this just keeps on happening over and over again. Then it takes us a lot longer to realize we can't change them, but we may be able to change ourselves about them. So how we take that event. Caleb was over the other day and he said he was talking about how he got 
three tickets in, in a short period of time. And, and, and I said, well, yeah, what was that about? And he said, he said it was me. I, I was the problem. I was just crazy. I was driving like a crazy person. And I was so proud of him. He's 21 years old, and, he's, and he figured that out. He saw that. He looked at himself, and he said, I did this. Do you have any idea how long it usually takes us to get the police were not bad and wrong, you know. Look, you're breaking the law. You signed an agreement saying that you would obey these laws, and you didn't do it. And it's this guy's job to say, you're not keeping your agreement. And it's your job to say, thank you. Thank you so much for waking me up. I was sound asleep behind the wheel, which is not a good place to sleep. So you see, it is possible to look at the revenuers in a different way. You can look at them as people who actually serve and protect, whether they mean to or not. And that's the way that I would recommend it. Life becomes your teacher. When you make this work your neutralizing force, life becomes your teacher. Everything in life has the potential to teach you. Everything in life has some meaning for you. Everything in life is there so that you can advance, so that you can develop, so that you can progress along the path. Unfortunately, we don't make life our teacher because we don't make the work the neutralizing force. We don't put the work between us and life so that life comes directly at us and hits us straight on. And we don't have anything in between life and us to buffer the shocks, to make those shocks conscious shocks. We just have bam and then a mechanical knee-jerk reaction to it. How we interact with these events we call life becomes important because that's where we can change our way of taking them. If we haven't practiced self-observation and thereby made a new place in our minds where we can observe incoming impressions before reacting to them and observe how we would ordinarily react to them, then change remains impossible for us. So what we're trying to do is create this space. Just this little buffer, this little space. I shouldn't say buffer because work people think, oh, that means this wooden block between my two negative things or two. Yes, well, try and not pay too much attention to the words. This little insulating space, let's put it that way, between us and life where it's like pause button where some life will be happening, but that there's a pause button and you hit the pause button. And then you, while it's paused, you look at the impression that's coming in and you see it and you see how you would ordinarily react to it. And because the work is there, you see a different way of reacting to it, a way of responding to it. And you choose to respond to it, maybe. Or you choose just not to react to it. At first, what we do is we choose not to react to it. And it is possible. So it comes in, you hit the pause button, you see it for what it is. You go, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And then it goes on and you don't do that. You don't react to it. Or your reaction is less severe, less negative. And sometimes that's all we've got going for us. We can be less negative. We can be less severe. That's a step. We're moving in the right direction. Take it. Take it as a gift. Take it as this work giving you an opportunity. Take it and value it and use it because the next time it'll be easier. Anytime you do that, it's never lost for you. It's always kept for you. Events continue to overpower us in the wheel of misfortune's regular rotation. Asleep, we're stuck to the event, unable to distinguish the difference between ourselves and the events. Our clothing, as it were, gets caught on some part of the wheel, and we're dragged along, identified and reacting to a greater or lesser degree. It's like you, you know, when you ride a bicycle... They have these little clips that you can put on your pant legs so that your pant leg doesn't get caught in the chain. And I've seen people with those that have the clip on and so their pant leg doesn't get caught in the chain. And, that's, and that reminded me of this. That's what happens. Life goes around like this wheel. And there's this chain. And if your clothing is loose, if you have too much clothing on and it's loose, then it can easily get caught in that chain. And when it gets caught in the wheel, it stops everything. It tears up your clothing. It tears you up. It, it can throw you from the bicycle. You can have all kinds of problems with that. 
And so this is what we do. We get all of these things that we've acquired in life. It's our clothing. And there's so much of it. We've acquired so much that it's easy to get it caught. That life comes along and just the wind picks up and snags this. Your scarf blows this way. Do you remember that Isadora Duncan, that famous dancer? who uh, she was very, she was really famous, incredible dancer. And she, um, she was very flamboyant. She wore these long, 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 long scarves. She'd wrap around her neck and they'd flow behind her. And she was in a Bugatti convertible one time. And the f- scarf was flowing as the guy was driving along. And, and the scarf got caught in the binner of the wheel and wrapped up and <laughs> snapped her neck. And that was that. That was the end of Isadora Duncan. And so, in a sense, that's what happens to us. You know, something in life catches us and chokes us. Something in life catches us and breaks our neck. Something in life catches us and throws us to the ground. And this is because we've got too much clothing. We've got too much acquired stuff that we haven't learned how to take off. The work directs us to build a conscious place where we can inspect incoming impressions, see our mechanical reaction before it goes off. You know, a mouse never gets caught in a mouse trap if it knows how the mouse trap works. It just won't go there. And, you know, they're fish that people can't catch because they won't, they won't bite. They won't go for that bait. They just won't do it. And there are animals that get smart out in the wild, and they just won't go near that trap. They know. And so we could be at least that clever, that sly, to start to see that if something catches you again and again and again, maybe it'd be a good idea to avoid that trap. Maybe it'd be a good idea to learn how to get past that without getting caught in it, not identifying with it. What we're trying to do is interfere with ourselves, not with the events that we call life. This work is not about fixing life. It's not about saving the whales. It's not about saving the environment. It's not about being green. It's not about saving the ozone layer. This is about interfering with ourselves. If we can interfere with ourselves, then how we take what happens in life can change. And that is what's important because it's what we take that is destroying us, not what life gives us. Life gives us an impression. We take it in a certain way. That is what destroys us. To do this safely, to interfere with ourselves safely, is administering the first conscious shock to ourselves. That's what the work calls it. If you can interfere with yourself and how you take life safely, because there are other ways to do there are ways that are not safe that people use. But if you can do this safely, that's administering the first conscious shock. Life doesn't follow a set course because of its events. Just because life is events, it doesn't mean that they're predictable events. It's like the roulette wheel. It doesn't mean that it's predictable. Yes, it will go around. That's true. Yes, they will drop the ball on it. That's true. Yes, it will fall on a number. That's true. Yes, it will either be red or black. That's true. Beyond that, you can't predict anything. So we have the illusion of being able to predict because, yes, it will go around. Yes, they will drop the ball. Yes, it will be red or white. Yes, it will fall on a number. But that's it. Beyond that, it's not predictable at all. We look at it as a wheel and we say, oh, it just repeats, so I can master this. And yet, it's been repeating for a number of years and you haven't mastered it. So we all make, you know, the great thing about life is it does repeat. We all make it to the grave without really making any effort. We're no real effort. We make mechanical effort, but we don't make any real effort. We can make it to the grave without making any real effort. It's no big deal. But we find ourselves there via different routes. So some people, everybody gets to the grave. That's true. But some people get there mechanically, unconsciously, and some people get there awake. Which do you want to be? That's it. That's what all this is about. Which do you want to be? If you want to be the one who gets there awake, then you need to do something now. If you don't care, then why are you listening to me? Because there's certainly more interesting things you could be doing on Easter morning, like going and finding eggs that somebody hid somewhere. 
So there are lots of things you could be doing. Hopefully, you do want to get to that part, the death part, uh, where you can be awake, where when death comes in, you can say, oh, hi, I've been looking for you. Have a seat. We'll talk. Not, where did you come from? It's not time. What? I'm not ready. Who are you? <laughs> what? Totally different. One, you die like a dog. The other one, you transition like a man, a real man, capital M, a conscious man. Not a man number one, two, or three, sleeping, mechanical humanity. Man number four, in between, three and five. That's where four is, right? You know, I'm not good on math, but every once in a while I do get one right. People die all day long. Those are events. If someone dies in your town, you're still happy in your home because it happened in your town, not in your home. Somebody dies in your home, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? That would be different because of your reaction to the event. The event's happening all day long. You can pick up this morning's newspaper and you'll find obituaries, long list of obituaries, people who died. Doesn't mean a thing to you. Just the people who died. You can have compassion, you can have empathy, you can have a lot of things. But it's not the same as if somebody died. You woke up this morning and the person next to you was dead. It's like, that's a different event. And we react to it differently. Our clothes are caught on one hook after another on the wheel of misfortune. You wake up and this person next to you is dead. Your clothes are caught on the hook of the wheel of misfortune and you're dragged along. And who knows when you'll free yourself from that? Who knows when you'll get off the wheel? Who knows when you'll stop reacting? You react at the funeral home. You react when they come in to get the body. You react to this. You react to that. Whereas it's happening five doors over and it doesn't mean a thing to you. Maurice Nicole said, when man was created as a self-developing organism, all possible events a man could experience were created also. Why? Otherwise, he would have had no life, no events, nothing to do. If you fall down the stairs, there's no authority. If you trip over the rug, there's no authority. Nobody did that to you. That's life. That's an event in life. We look for somebody to blame. Whose fault was that? That is not the way that this work teaches us to take the impressions, the events that come in from life. No one did it to you. No one ordered it. Make sure you're not caught by it and react mechanically. This is your job. This is your only job. You don't have to worry about anything else. To be sick is a common event. When it happens to us, we take it as an exceptional event, as if in life we didn't get sick and die. But everybody gets sick and dies. That's how it works. Well, okay, not everybody gets sick and dies. Some people die healthy. They fall out of a plane. They get run over by a car. They're healthy, but they're still dead. Actually, the way the pattern of life is, we get sick and die. That's the way the wheel turns. The roulette wheel turns that way. But there are other things that happen. So other things can happen. We imagine that life isn't all these bizarre events, but history shows us it's always been this way. Always been this way. There are always... The, the story I told you about Isadora Duncan. You all, wow, that's a really bizarre... It's not that bizarre. What about the guy in Texas or Oklahoma or wherever got his, his hand caught or a piece of clothing caught? I think it was maybe his clothing or his hand caught in some kind of machine, farm equipment. And it was pulling him in. He whipped out his pocket knife and cut his arm off to save his life. Well, that's bizarre. Really? It's not really, really bizarre. The bizarre thing is that he was conscious enough to make that decision. That's the bizarre thing. That's what makes that story different. Not that people get stuck in machines. That happens every day. I was in the hospital where a guy got his arm stuck in a machine and yanked it. Didn't yank it off, but it yanked it, and, he, and it was dead. It was just a dead arm. It just had no feeling, no nothing. He had it in a sling. And that was it. And the doctors wanted to cut it off. And he came to me and asked me, well, because the doctors had cut my leg off. And he came to me and he said, well, what should I do? And I said, well, you got the arm where there's life, there's hope. You don't know. If you keep it and you're, and you're mindful of it, you don't know what they'll discover. You don't know what you'll discover. You don't know what possibility you will have. 
If you cut it off, it's not going to grow back. Not in our lifetime. I mean, maybe they'll be able to do that some other time. Maybe they'll have some, you know, cell research and they'll be able to do something. But right now, that's not in the foreseeable future. And this was back in the 60s. So my advice to him was, look, if it doesn't bother you, keep it. It's good company. And something could happen. Where there's life, there's hope. We imagine a lot of things about life. But what we imagine is not what life is. Because what life is exactly like is bizarre events. Ospensky said, people think war is exceptional, but it's always been. The point on this work, like the point on a pencil, is how you relate yourself to what is happening to you. What's happening to you is events. That's what's happening to you. Events. Just events that happen. Do they randomly happen? You don't need to know whether they randomly happen or not. It doesn't matter. Trying to figure out what made them happen is just another way of trying to change something in life, the event. I'll change the events so that they stop happening. No, change your reaction to the events. That's what this work is about. You're happy. Something's happening to you. Some event. And happiness is how you're taking it. Why? Because mechanically, that's what you've always done. Never separating yourself from your reaction to that event. You're unhappy. Why? Same thing. Happiness, unhappiness, exactly the same thing. You're reacting mechanically to an event. Maurice Nicole said, the world is a series of old, old recurring events. You can't change the event. It's already happened. Nicole didn't say that. I'm saying this. You can't change the event. It's already happened. You can't change what's already happened. The only thing you can do about what's already happened is change your reaction to it. When can you do that? What if you've already reacted badly? Change your reaction now. That's what you do. You change your reaction now. You don't have to keep on acting badly. You can stop any time. There are events that happened 10 years ago and you're still reacting to them. We call those accounts. Change the way you're reacting to that event now. That will cancel the account. It will cancel the account now and it will go all the way back to the beginning of the account and cancel the whole thing. That is how you can change the past now. And you change the future at the same time because you ensure when that event comes up again on the wheel of misfortune, you will not react to it mechanically because you have canceled that whole thing. There's a great power in this, but you have to do it. There's no power in just talking about it. Events hypnotize us and drain force from us. All events with which we identify, and we identify with all events that happen to us, more or less. We all identify with everything that happens to us, more or less. Some of us identify more, some of us identify less. What we're trying to do is learn bit by bit to identify less, until we don't identify at all. That's how this works. We're working to become passive to the events so that we don't get our clothes caught on the wheel of misfortune. In other words, becoming passive to events is like beginning to discard some of this clothing, some of these attitudes, some of these put-on things, some of these states of mind, some of these thought patterns, some of these emotional patterns, to begin to discard them so that we're not carrying so much luggage around, so much clothing flowing, so that events can catch them so easily. Because once we're on the hook, it's much more difficult to get off it than it is to avoid it snagging us. So we need to change our clothes. Less is better. This work kind of gives you bicycle clips. Until you can change your clothes, it gives you bicycle clips to put on them so that you can start to, before you have different clothes, it starts to make you mindful of what it is that you're doing so that you can begin to attend to yourself properly. 
The size of the event doesn't matter. This is another thing. The size of the event doesn't matter. The smallest event may be more dangerous than the biggest event. Big events have a tendency of waking us up a little. It's the little domestic, everyday events that get us every time, every single time. How could I fall for that again? Well, it's easy. You were asleep because we go to sleep at home. Out there in the world, we're a little more awake, maybe. Unless you're out there in the world all the time, then you're asleep all the time. Next time you're in a snit, look and see what bit of your clothing got caught on the wheel of misfortune. It's better to cut away than be dragged away. This work aims at helping us take events consciously, not mechanically. The hypnotic power of some events is fantastic. It's absolutely staggering. There are some events, their hypnotic power entrances the entire planet. We call those things world wars. We call those things depressions, mass insanity, when the whole world gets hypnotized or most of the world gets hypnotized by some event. It's such an incredible power. This work, though, is more powerful than life and its events. Otherwise, we're lost. If there's not something more powerful than life and its events, we're done. We're the most pitiable creatures on earth. Those who have separated themselves from life have gone on before us, leaving behind maps and instructions of what they did. We can follow them. These alone can't help us. They also left a certain power, which if practiced, will purify our minds and our hearts, giving us safe passage to their abode. That's the promise. Lo, I am with you always, and where I am, you will be. Pretty much they all say the same thing. They say, look, you can do this. If you will follow the course, you will end up where I am. That's the promise. Unless we remember ourselves and shake off life's hypnotism, the power can't reach us. The power is not going to reach you in your sleep. And even if it does, then you need to wake up. You need to wake yourself up and keep yourself awake. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.